This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. If you brought your Bible, you want to turn with me to Acts 27. We're going to finish up today our series in the latter part of the book of Acts, looking at Paul. Missionary Journeys of Paul, and uh, wrap up this great, great book. have a lot of scripture to cover today as we have the last couple of weeks, and I want you to follow along. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one uh, close to you in a, in a chair underneath the blue chairs. you probably find one, but I want you to follow along. Um, before we go, I want us to have a word of prayer. Two things I want us to pray for, I'm, and we're not going to pray out loud. I'm just going to ask you to pray silently. Two things. Number one. We should pray for yourself that God will open your heart uh, to what his word has to say today. Lord, you just kind of make me ready to receive what the word says. The second thing I want you to pray about is just, I want you to pray for me. Uh, Yesterday, um, I won't go into all the things that that went on yesterday, but I'll just tell you that this morning I am physically and emotionally spent. And uh, plus, I've already been through one sermon today to add on top of that. I was sitting here this morning, as we're saying, I caught myself yawning a couple times. I'm just really drained. So would you just ask God, God, energize Rick. You know, I'm, I'm not counting on caffeine. Uh, would you ask his spirit to, to just help me do and say and be what I need to be right here for this next uh, 30 minutes or so? Let's bow and, and just go to him and pray. You just, in your own words, uh, silently lift those things up to the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 27. Point number one, if you're following along, your notes and you version or on paper, listen to those who walk with God. Listen to those who walk with God. Verse one, when it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, Paul's been in prison in the city of Caesarea on the seacoast for two years, um, taken there for his own safety because the Jews were doing everything in their power to kill him. And he's been there for two years, and not much has been done. And so he's appealed to Caesar, which means he has to go to Rome. Finally, the Roman governor, Festus, says, okay, let's pack him up and send him off to Rome. Rome. So it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, Luke writes. That's why it says we. Um, And Luke, by the way, is a great detail man. We've gone through this series and notice how Luke just puts little details in there just to let us know this is true stuff. He's going to give names and so forth in in these next two chapters. Does right away. They handed Paul and some other prisoners. He wasn't the only prisoner then going. Some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. So there's a name, not only of the centurion, but the name of the outfit that he belonged to, the military regiment the Imperial Regiment. They were like top-notch in the Roman army. So when we boarded a ship of Adramidium, I dare you to say that word three times fast, Adramidium, Adramidium. All right, Adramidium. We put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus was with us, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated 
Julius that centurion treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends there in Sidon and receive their care. So Paul pulls in a dock. Christians find out Paul's on board. They come and get him. So let's go eat it out back. So they all go out and have a good time of lunch and, and, and receive some supplies from his friends there for the journey. We put out to sea from there. We sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea off of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. Now, got a map up on the screen, and you can follow along uh, of uh, the journeys where they left down here uh, from Caesarea, went to Sidon, went to Myra up on the southern coast of Asia Minor, and then headed for the island of Crete. And because of the winds, uh, they sailed south of Crete for the protection from the winds, and that's where we find them. They're on their way eventually up to across the Mediterranean, up the, across the Adriatic, bottom of the Adriatic Sea, and then they will make their way up along the coast of Sicily to the east of Sicily, and then cut right through there and make their way all the way up to in the middle of the boot to Rome. So that's where they're headed. Um, we, uh, we, we sailed slowly. Well, let, me, let me back up to verse 6. There the centurion found in Myra, found an Alexandrian ship. They needed to change boats sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, we came with difficulty as far as Nidus. That's how that's pronounced. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmon. With yet more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. By now, much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous since the fast was already over. The Jewish holiday it was over. Paul gave his advice and told them, those on the ship, men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward damage and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now here's Paul. He's not a sailor. He's not a sea captain. He's been on, the, on ships before, but he stands up in, in front of everybody and says, here's the deal. We're in big trouble. Trouble is ahead if we keep going. Verse 11. But the centurion, he's not a sailor either. He's a soldier. He paid attention to the captain, the guy who knows the sea and knows sailing and knows the ship and so forth. He paid attention to him and the owner of the ship apparently said, let's keep going, because he says pay attention to the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor there in, in Crete was uh, the city of Lycia, Fair Havens, was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided, that's what, here's what the majority will often lead us to do, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete open to the southwest and northwest and to winter there. Uh, listen to those who walk with God. Why do you say that? Well, Paul warned them, everybody in the ship, about the danger of this trip. Luke doesn't tell us, and Paul had a vision from God here. He doesn't say this was a prophetic statement. Maybe, maybe not. But I think no doubt the Holy Spirit had given Paul an inkling of what was ahead. By the way, don't listen to everybody that says, I heard a word from God. Be very careful about that. But here's an apostle, here's somebody that we can trust. And, and even, uh, of course, they didn't know. They're pagans, they're Romans, they don't know the Lord, they don't know the Holy Spirit. They didn't listen. 
You and I who are, are Christians, we should be intent listeners to those who are walking with God. And not, they're not just talking about God, they're walking with God. We need to listen to those who have real spiritual wisdom. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. See that verse? Let's read that together. Read it aloud with me. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. What, what the Bible's saying there is if you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas, all right? Be careful who you listen to. Listen and listen intently to people who are wise in the word of God. All right, verse 13. When a gentle south wind sprang up, oh, that's the kind of wind we need to leave Crete and go up toward Italy. A gentle south wind sprang up. They thought they had achieved their purpose. You know, they didn't have radar back in those days. They didn't have the weather channel to predict what was going on, but the south wind was blowing. This is our opportunity. Let's grab it. You need to be careful when the south winds, by the way, blow in your life because what comes next might be crazy. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete, but not long afterward, a fierce wind called Eurycliadon, which is interpreted the Northeaster. How many of you in Outer Banks know what a Nor'easter is? That's what's hit them. Yeah, that's not the time, Craig, is it, to be out in the boat. Craig's the captain of a ship there, and he knows. And you want to go out, in the, out fishing in the Gulf Stream during a Nor'easter, all right? Not the time. Rushed down from the island, blew down from the northeast. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it. We just had to go with it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Kauda, which blocked the wind a little bit, we were able to get control of the skiff. I guess they're towing the skiff because Luke says, after hoisting it up, the skiff, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. They took their ropes and their tackle and actually went underneath the bow and brought those ropes up and tied, tightened up around the hull of the ship. Why? To keep it from breaking apart. They feared they would run aground. On the Sirtis. The Sirtis is, you know what, you, those of us who live here, we understand the graveyard of the Atlantic. We understand the shoals out there, uh, sandbars out that have sunk so many ships. Well, that's, this is the same kind of thing off the coast of North Africa. They're afraid they're going to run ground. So they lowered the drift anchor, an anchor that just kind of slowed them down a little bit, maybe gave them a little bit more control. And in this way, they were driven along, not so fast. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo, throwing stuff overboard, barrels and boxes and crates of whatever they were carrying. Why? They're trying to lose weight on the ship. Why? Because they're taking on water and they're starting to sink. So they lightened the load by jettisoning the cargo. On the next day, they threw the ship's gear overboard. Whoa. That's the rope and tackle, block and tackle stuff. That's what they really, to hoist the sails and, and they started pitching that stuff overboard with their own hands. For many days, verse 20, neither sun nor stars appeared. And that's important to sailors back in those days, especially because you navigated by the stars. You knew which direction you were going by where the sun was and they couldn't see any of that. 
Finally, Luke says, all hope that we would be saved was disappearing. Since many were going without food, Paul stood among them and said, I told you so. He says, you men should have followed my advice, my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. But then he turns it and he says, now, I urge you to take courage. Be encouraged. Things are going to get better. Things are looking up. They just, Luke just says they lost all hope that they were going to be saved. Paul says, I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. Now these guys are thinking, first of all, the guy was right about the storm. Let's hope he's right about this. And Paul explains to them why he says this. For this night, tonight, an angel of God, the God I belong to and serve, stood by me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. Why? You must stand before Caesar. God wants you to get to Rome. Nothing's going to stop that. You must get to Caesar. And look, God is graciously giving you all, giving you all those who are sailing with you. Look, and not only are you going to get there, but everybody on the ship is going to be okay. Now, if you have a pen, you need to circle three words in verse 25. He says, therefore, take courage, men, because I believe God. Now, these men, for the most part, did not. They were not Christians. But Paul says, I believe God. Important point here. That it will be just the way it was told to me. He says, that's the good news. The bad news is, however, we must run aground on a certain island. I don't know that Paul knew where it was. He just knew we're going to run aground. That's not good news. Well, when the 14th night came, verse 27. Let's stop there. Let me stop there for a minute. Point is, sometimes the storm is the test, not punishment. Sometimes the storm is a test. Jesus used storms to test the disciples' faith, didn't he? Matthew chapter 8, you know the story? Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat, the 12 disciples and Jesus are on this boat out in the Sea of Galilee so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was sleeping. And so the disciples came and said to him, Wake up, Lord! Don't you care that we're all going to die? Save us! And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? You, you have little faith. Well, why could Jesus say that, by the way? Jesus understood his mission. And just like God said to Paul, You're going to get to Rome. Jesus knew, I'm not dying on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to a cross in Jerusalem. So it's not going to happen today, fellas. Why are you so fearful? God's going to get us out of this. And then he got up and he rebuked the waves, the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. Sometimes you and I will get caught in storms in our lives. I mean, bad, rough things happen. Scary things, frightening things. Things that happen in our lives that that cause us to be at the place, like Luke says, we thought all hope of being saved is disappearing. Let me tell you some things about storms in your life. Um, Being caught up in a storm does not necessarily mean God is punishing you or judging you. 
So many people want to say to somebody that's going through a real rough time, I wonder what you did to tick God off. I wonder what the sin is in your life that this is happening. That's not necessarily the case. It could mean he's testing you. It could mean he's getting you ready to be more useful to him. There might be some cargo you need to jettison in your life. It might be a bad relationship that you need to say, I'm walking away from that. It could be a whole host of things. But God will use storms to get us where he needs us to be. Sometimes he's using the storm in your life to be a witness to those who are watching how you trust in him. You're going through that rough time and people you work with, people you know, your friends, they're watching to see, are you gonna get bitter? Are you gonna get angry with God? Are you gonna start throwing things at God? You shake your fist? How could you let this happen to me? And people watch all that. He's letting you be a witness if you'll handle it correctly. Sometimes. Could be that the storm is his way of moving you to a greater place of service for him. God needed him to get to Rome. Sometimes God will cause storms in our lives to happen to move us from point A to point B. I've seen that happen in a lot of people's lives. Might be that the storm will grow your faith because you go through the storm, because he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, as it were. He'll take you to the mountaintop and your faith will be grown because I know I've been through this storm. God's going to get me through the next one. I know he is. Grows grows our faith. So I think the lesson here is when the storm comes in your life, don't fight the storm. Don't resist against God. Don't get angry with God. Listen to me now. Even if, unlike the, the reasons above, even if the purpose of the storm that may be coming into your life is to purge your life of something that doesn't belong. And sometimes God's storms will do that. The storm very well may be, and again, we, we so often in our, in our culture, in our Christian culture, in this country especially, want to blame everything on the devil, you know? I like Romans 8.28, don't you? For all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It all works for God's glory. Even if it's to purge your life of something that doesn't belong, it's there, the storm will come, there for his glory and to bring you greater influence. And Paul, was good. he's about to have some greater influence. Next point in your notes, our presence makes a difference. Our presence being there when the 14th night came. 14th night of the storm, by the way. 14th night of not knowing where we are, how we're going to get there. 14th night of being battered, and as you're going to see, 14th night of not eating. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea. That's the sea between the boot of Italy and the, and the subcontinent, if you will, of Greece. 14th night, we were there in the Adriatic. In the middle of the night, the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took a sounding, dropped the rope down, found a depth to be 120 feet. And then when they had sailed a little bit farther and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet. So the bottom's getting shallower. Then fearing we might run aground in some rocky place, you don't want to go there, they dropped four anchors from the stern 
and prayed for daylight to come. You know, daylight's going to come whether you pray for it or not, you know. I guess they were praying, help us to make it that far. I don't know who they're praying to, by the way. I guess they're pagan gods. Some sailors, verse 30, tried to escape from the ship. A handful of sailors said, let's get out of here. And so they, they had let down the skiff, the little boat, into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Hey, we're going to drop the skiff and go around to the front of the ship and drop some anchors there just to be more secure. Liar, liar. That's not what they were about. They're trying to get out of the ship, save their own eyes. Sailors. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, fellas, unless these men, they're getting in that skiff right now, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. You let them go, you're going to die. Well, what would you do? You would do exactly what the centurions did and the soldiers did. What do they do? The soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. Nobody got in that boat. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food. Let's eat. Today is the 14th day that you've been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you, take some food. For this has to do with your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. Eat. Why? You're going to need some physical strength for what's coming up. After he said these things, he had taken some bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. Paul wasn't afraid to be a Christian and, and to live for Christ in front of everybody. In the presence of God, he gave thanks for the bread, and when he broke it, he began to eat. And they all became encouraged and took food for themselves. In all, Luke says, another detail, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. And they threw everything else that was weighing the boat down overboard, all the grain, all the money that was the valuable cargo. And verse 39, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land. They could see it, but we have no clue where we are. But they sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. They had tied up the rudders, that which steers the boat. They had tied them up so the, they, you know, it wouldn't, the steering mechanism wouldn't work. Now we need it. So they loosened the rudders. They hoisted the foresail into the wind and headed for the beach, but they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast, couldn't move it, remained unmovable while the stern behind it where the waves are coming began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan, we've got these prisoners. We don't know how many prisoners there were. Paul was one of them. We know more than one was on the, was on the boat. The soldiers' plan was, I guess we're going to have to kill the prisoners so they don't escape. So no one could swim away and escape. That was a soldier's plan. But the centurion, thank God for centurions in the New Testament. Here's another one that he's a good guy. How do how we kill Paul? He saved our lives. The centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow. 
some on planks. Steve Wise tells me this is where surfing was invented, right here in the scripture. (laughs) Grab your board. And some on debris from the ship. In this way, every one, 276 of them, safely reached the shore. About our presence making a difference. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about us being salt and light as presence in this world. Salt and light, why salt and light? Well, salt does a couple things. Salt preserves, salt makes things thirsty, makes people thirsty. Light expels the darkness, light shows the way. And I believe if we as God's people are salt and light in this world, if we are who we say we are, we make a difference by our presence in culture and community. Those 276 men on that ship literally owed their lives to the fact that at least three of them were part of God's plan to bring the gospel to the world. That means these 273 other guys, guess what? We are in the right place at the right time. We got the right guys on board with us. This means, church, I believe that we are in the right place, Nag said, church, at the right time. And our presence as Jesus in that same passage in Matthew 5 called us a city on a hill. Beaming light, the light of the cross, we can make a huge difference in the eternal destiny of our community. It's why we must stand true on the Bible, why we must not cave in to those who would, like the sailors on the ship, try to abandon ship. We make a difference, Christian now and for the future uh, generations to come. The, the soldiers' plan to kill the prisoners, you know, that wasn't God's plan, was it? Now think about this with me. I thought about this on my own. So it's not that deep of a thought, but think about this with me. Why wasn't it God's plan, you know? Uh, this centurion, Julius, intervened and saved Paul's life and Luke's life. Now think for a second. Most of you have a Bible If we did not have Luke's writings in Scripture, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts and all of Paul's epistles, how much would be missing from our New Testament today? How many blank pages would be there? I'm grateful to have Acts and the Gospel. The Christmas story is in Luke. If they had died, God, you're not going to die. I got things for you to do. I have things for you to write. I got places for you to go. God's in charge of this whole affair. Next point, wrong interpretations of justice are easy to make. Chapter 28, once ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. You know where Malta is? You got the boot coming down of of Italy, and at the end of the boot, the boot is kicking what? Sicily. Malta is an island just south, a little island just south of Sicily. That's where they were. Island of of Malta, the local people showed us extraordinary kindness for they lit a fire. Here's all these people coming out of the water. They lit a fire, took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood, he's getting firewood for this big bonfire to keep them warm. And he put it on the fire, grabbed this brushwood, put it on the fire, a viper came out, a poisonous snake. Came out because of the heat and fastened itself to Paul's hand. Bit him right on the hand. Poisonous snake. 
when the local people saw the creature hanging from, I mean, it didn't just bite and let go. It bit and hang, hung on. The local people saw the snake hanging from his hand. They said to one another, this man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped the sea, justice, and in, this, in the Greek is the, the, the Greek name of the Greek god of just, goddess of justice. Justice, justice does not allow him to live. He's going to die because he's a murderer. He escaped the shipwreck, but he's still going to die because he must be a bad guy. However, he shook the creature off into the fire. How many of you believe her that you get a poisonous snake, you kill it? All right? And Paul, burn, baby. And he shook it off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected, as I would, you get bitten by a poisonous snake, they expected him to swell up and, or suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time, he's going to die. And they saw nothing unusual happen to him. They changed their minds. He's not a murderer. He's a god. Paul is bitten by this snake. The immediate interpretation of justice is he must have done something really bad. They didn't know Paul. They didn't know the story. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know that it was because of him and God's hand in his life that all the passengers and crew were alive. They just made a quick judgment. You know, when you and I, listen to me, when you and I have an attitude of self-righteousness, this kind of interpretation is easy to make. Hey, I wonder what he or she did to deserve this. It's kind of related to the storm. We forget that we're all sinners and the only thing we have to brag about is not ourselves, but is the grace of God. And, and, and quick judgments and re- redefining justice can happen if we think we're so, snake didn't bite me, it bit you. You must be the one that's bad. And we end up calling people names they don't deserve. We end up shying away from people who have done nothing wrong. And, and what I find interesting is look how quickly they make, they change judgments about Paul. One moment he's a murderer, a few minutes later he's God. Verses 7 through 10. Do good to everyone and anyone. Verse 7. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man, the richest man on the island named Publius, who welcomed us, Luke says, and entertained us hospitably for three days. So it happened that Publius' father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and praying, laying on his hands. When he prayed... He's invoking the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Prayed, laid hands on him, he healed him. Well, after this, word got out. The rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. Publius was a wealthy man. He was a kind man, but there's nothing that indicates he was a Christian He extended hospitality to the shipwrecked guests. I don't believe Paul's part in Publius' father's healing was a way to pay him back, but I do believe it was an opportunity for Paul to let them know the power that resided in him was not his own. I'm not a god. My god is named Jesus of Nazareth, and in his name, watch this, to display how powerful our god is and how he loves everyone. 
You know, Ephesians 2.10, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Long ago, God planned there were things he wanted you to do, good things he wanted you to do, good works he created us to do, not so that we could be saved, but because we are saved. So you and I, Christian, we need to be on the lookout for chances to serve others. It might be a prayer. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be doing something practical and physical. Maybe it will take some labor. You know, some some of those random acts of kindness. Those things open the door to the gospel being shared. And I bet God, you know, I look at this room and I guarantee this. Every day in your life, God brings you in contact with somebody that you can pray for somebody that you can encourage, somebody that you can give a hand to every day. We just got to be sensitive to the Lord and, and as he brings those things our way. Verses 11 through 16, our next point says, connect with other believers at every opportunity. So after three months, we set sail from Malta in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island. Three months they hung out there. On the ship, the twin brothers was, was the figurehead of this ship. The twin brothers were Zeus's twin brothers. They were the, the pagan protectors of mariners. They were on the front of the ship. Luke identifies the ship that way. Putting in at Syracuse, the capital of Sicily, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium, and after one day, a south wind sprung up. Remember, this last south wind was not, not a good thing. This was a good one. South wind sprung up. We needed to go north toward Rome, sprung up, and the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found, Luke said, we found believers there, a church, and we were invited to stay with them for a whole week, seven days, and so we came to Rome. Now the believers from there, from Rome, had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as from the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns, from a, like a, an area of, of 50 miles. Christians came to where Paul was. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Luke said, Paul was permitted to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Stop there. By this time, Christianity has spread all the way to Italy, if not farther. And you know, when Christians moved and they traveled, they were sharing the gospel. And it's pretty clear that when Paul and Luke and Aristarchus arrived in Italy, they were on the lookout for believers. Maybe we can find some Christians here. And that's because they knew if we can find Christians, they're going to come to our aid. They're going to come to our support because that's why the church exists, to love one another. Simple truth taught throughout the book of Acts and the epistles is this. I hope you get this. Survival in this world is far easier when we're in fellowship with other believers. Nobody's called, Christian, to be a lone ranger. When we're in fellowship with other believers. Being part of the church is God's will for every single one of us. It's not a relationship to neglect. It's not a relationship to ignore. It's not an option for us. Because together we're strong and together we're able to build up one another. But if we're not together, if we ignore neglect this relationship with the family of God 
it becomes easy for us to stray, and when we stray, we become easy prey for the wolves, for the enemy, whose desire is always to steal, to kill, to destroy. I know it was such a blessing for these weary travelers to be greeted and cared for by newfound brothers and sisters in Christ. So, stay on your mission. Stay on your mission. Verse 17. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. Let me just skim through this real quickly. He meets with the leaders of the Jews there in Rome. I want them to come talk to me. They come talk with him, meet with him, and they say, we haven't heard of you, Paul, but we have heard of Christianity, and we have heard that it's not a good thing. We're aware of that it's spoken against against everyone everywhere. And Paul says, listen, all I'm teaching, all I'm preaching is the hope of Israel. Paul's always gone to the Jews first, hasn't he? After verse 23, after arranging a day with him, these leaders of the Jews came to him at his lodging where he's guarded by a soldier. And from dawn to dusk, that's a long time. From dawn to dusk, he expounded from the scriptures and witnessed about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from the Old Testament that he's the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, these Jewish leaders began to leave after Paul made one statement. Here's what he's, he quoted from the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit, he said, correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your ancestors when he said, quote, go to these people and say, you will listen and listen, you'll never understand, and you will look and look and yet never perceive. For the hearts of these people, the Jewish people, have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They've shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and be converted. God says, and I would heal them. Therefore, he says to them, let it be known to you that this saving work of God, the hope of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Well, you said the word Gentiles, they all got mad. They didn't want the Gentiles to know their God. After he said these things, the Jews departed while engaging in a prolonged debate among themselves. You know, this whole book of Acts has been about the church following Jesus' strategy for spreading the gospel around the world. It's a strategy that should include every one of us who know Christ. It began in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's the strategy Jesus gave. Remember that verse? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's our mission. There's his strategy. It's not a request. Would you please? Could you please? He didn't request it. He made a statement, a matter of fact. He said, you will be my witnesses. And it was his practice, the Apostle Paul, to start wherever he was by witnessing to Jerusalem and Judea, to the Jewish people first. He was a Jew. He could relate to them, and they spoke their language. He understood their beliefs, their traditions, and even though most of the time they rejected, for the most part, what he said, Paul stayed on his mission. Then he went to the Gentiles, and these pagans who knew little or nothing about God, but always everywhere he was sharing the gospel. Why? That was Paul's mission. That's what Jesus told him to do. 
And it's when you and I, Nag said, church, when we grasp and embrace the idea that we who are Christians are all to be on this same mission, then the world around us will start to change. What will it take for you if you're not already to get on board and become a missionary right where you are? I find it telling, and I don't mean this to, to offend anybody, to hurt anybody's feelings, that's not my purpose, but I find it very telling. But if somebody dares us to dump a bucket of ice water in our heads, we'll stand in line to get the chance and broadcast it to the world. But if a preacher gets up and says, come join in, the greatest mission in all the world, the best thing we can do is come up to him afterwards, shake his hand and say, nice sermon, preacher. And that's it. Nothing changes. We finish with the book of Acts today. But Acts shouldn't be finished. This should be a 29th chapter of Acts. What do you mean? It should be about us and how we're on the mission, how we're following the strategy, how God is working among us. Because everybody in this world, beginning right here in our neighborhoods, in our communities, our neighbors, not everybody in this world has heard the gospel yet. And God is counting on you and me to finish the task. So what will you do? Let's bow for prayer. God, I am so enamored with this man, Paul, and his devotion to you. Yeah, he stayed on the mission. Nothing made him quit. Nothing made him give up. Help us to be like him. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 30, verse 31. Luke wraps up the whole book of Acts with kind of like the rest of the story, Luke. Doesn't give it to us, but he says, then he stayed two whole years in his own rented house in Rome. It wasn't a dank, dark prison cell, not this time. And he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus with full boldness and without hindrance. Paul would stay two years in this prison in Rome, this captivity, waiting his trial before Caesar, Luke sort of abruptly ends the story here, but if you read Paul's epistles, it seems very apparent that he must have been cleared by any wrong by Caesar, and he was set free. And we know that because Paul took another missionary trip. But he's going to, sometime in the next six years, he's going to wind up in a Roman prison cell, a real prison, chained to the walls, and he tells us to Timothy, he says, some of my closest friends are actually going to have abandoned me there. Maybe for them, the risk of associating with Paul was greater than their own devotion to him or to the Lord or they have better things to do. And there in that prison, he'd be executed sometime in the next few years. In his final written words, he's going to say, this about his life and this about his mission. Listen to Paul as his Life comes to a close. He wrote to Timothy, 
It's in 2 Timothy, not 1 2 Timothy. He says, Timothy, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I've lived it out. The time of my death is near. I know that. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've remained faithful. And the prize, now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, speaking of Jesus, he said, he's going to give that to me. I, I, I sense from Paul, he said, I'm about to die, but I can't wait for what's next. The Lord's going to give that to me on the day of his return. And, and listen to this, church. The prize is not just for me. The prize is for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That includes you and it includes me. Maybe. The point you notes is this. I'll finish with this. Pursue the prize. Pursue the prize. Because like Paul, every single one of us Christians, every single one of us will stand before Jesus one day. He wants to say to you and me, well done. He wants us to be able to say, I, I finished the race. You said, I ran the course. I was faithful. I stayed on mission. Until that day, church, let me encourage you we wrap this up. Listen, let's be on mission. The strategy that Jesus gave and let's turn this world upside down. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We've completed this book in the last year. What a great, I'd like to do it again. We're going to move on to other things, Father, that you've got for us, but help us, Lord, help us not to just say good, good sermon preacher and, and not live what we've been challenged to live here. Help us to finish our course. Help us to keep the faith. Help us to stay on the mission. Help us to jettison the cargo that weighs us down. In Jesus' name I pray. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.